welcome to a new world of entertainment. The Ultimate Film Television Podcast. Featuring Mike Winkler. Alistair Engelhart. Daniel English. Jeremy Larson. And Jason Kabasi. Created by friends. All film lovers. We feature in-depth discussions and celebrity interviews. This podcast is available on all major platforms. Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast. On this episode... Our Saw Retrospective begins. Each week, we will cover two of the eight Saw films. We will be doing in-depth discussions, so this podcast will include spoilers. This retrospective will be hosted by Mike Winkler and Jason Kabasa. And now, our discussion on Saw and Saw 2. Hello everybody, Mike Winkler here. Or should I say, want to play a game everybody? In the words of Jim Saw himself, Mike Winkler here with Jason Kabasic. How you doing, Jason? Doing good. How about you, Mike? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I'm really excited to do our first horror retrospective. Yeah, I'm kind of interested that we decided to start with the Saw series, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, God forbid, you know, we, we started with one of the most lengthy uh, horror franchises out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Like we had discussed, every year since 2004 up until 2010, they had a Saw movie come out every year for Christmas. So That's absolutely crazy. I mean, how many franchises do you know that will pull that off once a year? But then again, how many franchises also should have realized their their uh, films should have ended a while back? Well, that's true. There is a handful of those. Uh we know there's many horror franchises that have been overplayed and are still wanting to continue somehow, some way, in some shape or form. Like Saw. Well, yeah, we've, we're up to eight movies, and we have a ninth film co-written by Chris Rock on the way and starring him, Chris Rock himself and Samuel L. Jackson. I, I mean, them two in a Saw movie, I never even would have imagined that. 
No, I would not have imagined that at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they decided to come out with an, another movie at, uh, just after it didn't seem like Jigsaw did that well. Yeah, Jigsaw did okay. I mean, the box office for each Saw movie has been steadily declining, and I think that's why Saw 7 was the last. I know when they went into Saw 7, before Saw 6 came out, they said there was a plan for a 7 and 8, but 6's box office decline was not too favorable. So they said, 7's it. We're going to fit up both of our stories into 7 and 8 and be done. But then all of a sudden, 7 did well with the 3D prices, and then two years later, I think two or three years later, we got Jigsaw. Uh, no, it was actually seven years later. We got was it really 2017. When did all the final chapter get made? 2010. It's really that old. Yep. Okay, the wow. series has been out and it's set going on 17 years this year. Oh my God. My God. It's going on 20 years here soon. Oh my God. Yeah. It's been around for a while. Wow. And, and the next movie is called get this title. Spiral from the Book of Saw. I, I don't know. I, unless they're trying to go to that little spiral shape on Jigsaw's puppet. I, your guess is as good as mine. I like to see what Chris Rock comes up with, especially with there not being any comedy involved. Uh, I'm afraid. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that right now. We're here to talk about the first two movies. Yeah, maybe uh, some of the first or the first two are probably some of the best of the series. Yeah, well, yeah, they were the first of the series. No one had seen anything really like this setup at all in prior horror movies before. Uh, it was innovative for the time. Yeah, and and actually, this you might be surprised by this one. Actually, Saw 2 actually was my first experience with Saw because when Saw 2 came out, I hadn't seen Saw 1, and everybody had kind of revealed the big twist at the end with you know with John being the guy on the floor and revealing the whole plan that he was always there and he came up with it. So I thought, eh, I'll just go with 2 and just hit the ground running. I'll just you know not watch 1. So actually, just two days ago was the first time I had experienced Saw 1. That was the first time you ever watched the first Saw movie? Yep. How in the hell have you gone that long without watching it? Like I said, when when, when the twist was revealed was to me, saying, I just ignored it. Even with the twist, I would have gone back to watch the movie. I should have. I, I don't disagree with you. I say, why it was time. First one was probably my favorite out of them all. Well, one definitely had the best story. It definitely had the best shock value and the twist. I mean, I could see how nobody would have saw that coming. Yeah. But then again, I also, but this is also one of those, like, I'm one of the few that there, there are some movies out there, obviously, that even with all the shock value and all that, mm-hmm. everyone has those few films that they could pinpoint, like, when they watched it from the beginning, they're like, they can call it right from the beginning, like, what the ending is going to be, what the shock twist is going to be. Right. This is one of those I look like, yeah, that he is behind it all. So you knew? I, I had a feeling from the beginning. Did you? So you thought the guy on the floor was somehow a part of what was going on? I had a feeling he was behind it all. Wow! Wow! Applause to you because I, watching it, I didn't really see too many hints given. You know, sometimes, like you said, at the beginning of a movie, you start seeing little subtle little hints at the beginning that kind of give it away or give away a good prediction. Oh yeah, like they'll give it away, but obviously this one they didn't really have a whole lot of it. 
but it was mm-hmm. one of those that just like out shot in the dark situations where I'm just like, yeah, he's behind it all. Watch, he's gonna come up, he's wow. gonna rise up at the beginning of it. He's gonna be alive, and he's gonna behind everything. And what do you know? I mean, it was just like with uh, the Lost series that was on TV mm-hmm. for a good length of time. Like my first episode watching that, like it was about halfway through the series. Because I I don't know it never really fit my fancy of what I wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. And first episode tuning in, I'm looking at him like, I bet you anything that these people are all dead. That's the whole premise behind the show. And lo and behold, well, Lost is still one of those shows where I just it dumbfounds me because that show just it added in so many plot points and just ignored things and just said, ah, well, that's what just happened, so you just have to deal with it. Oh, I know, but there was just also another case of one of those It's like, you know, I bet anything that these people are all dead. And that's what the series finale is going to end up being, is they're going to be, that's going to be the big reveal. And now, once obviously, you know it, now, obviously, you didn't know that John Kramer was the guy, right? No, I didn't know John Kramer was the guy, mm-hmm. but I just had a feeling that, you know, it was behind everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the John Kramer thing, I could see how that completely came out of left field because, I mean, they showed him one time in the whole movie before that point in the hospital bed just laying there. At that time, I would have thought of him as just being an extra in the scene with the doctor. That was pretty much how I would have saw it. Yeah, like I said, I didn't think that... I- like it was John Kramer, mm-hmm. but I, it was one of those that something in my head just clicked. Like I bet you he's behind everything. I bet you he's not actually dead. Well, they put a lot of emphasis on that body at the very beginning, and and as I go back and look, I could see okay, I, I could see where I could have definitely missed that um, because they put a lot of emphasis on the shots there at the beginning of of the dead body, and they're kind of filming it his body from every which different angle. So they put a lot of emphasis on that at the beginning. And now that I go back and look, I'm thinking, so that's why they put a lot of emphasis on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense now. All right. So do you want to go ahead and start this one off here? <laughs> okay. So we're at the beginning here. And um, I, this movie opens like right in the thick of it right away. No no, no uh, build up, no nothing. We open with, with uh, the character of Adam waking up out of the bathtub. And uh, he's in this dark room that ends up being this huge bathroom. And we get the doctor on the other side. We find out the doctor. He's also chained to a pipe like him. And they have no way of getting out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, both men find a tape in their pockets. Uh, Adam retrieves the recorder. Uh, Adam's tape urges him to escape while Gordon's tape tells him to kill Adam by six o'clock or his wife and daughter will be killed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Adam finds a bag containing two hacksaws inside the toilet, which they try to use to cut through their chains, but Adam's saw breaks. And then Gordon realizes the saws are meant to be used on their feet and identifies their captor as a jigsaw killer. So yeah, this is how we get introduced to the whole premise behind the uh, jigsaw. You know, the movie first started. Um, since you know, since I watched this movie after I've seen the rest of the Saw movies, I couldn't help while I was watching it to compare it to the other ones. And I think this is why this ends up being <laughs> one of the best ones, at least because 
where the the sequels put a lot of emphasis on the flash and pizzazz of the editing work and the camera work and the traps. Whereas this movie put very a lot much... more effort. It put a lot more effort into the story of John Kramer. Right. And whereas in this movie here, we are getting invested in the characters before we get any sort of gore or blood or trap <laughs> or whatever, where the other movies, they still have those little character moments, but not like the first film does it. Yeah. One of the things that I liked about this uh, whole series as a whole, though, mm. was the premise behind all of it, like how Jigsaw's mentality changed, like uh, was to by you know some fucked up means and all that, but mm -hmm. to essentially change these people's ways of living, like making them appreciate the little things, I guess. Yeah, his uh, his overall philosophy of it all is not a terrible philosophy. It's not a terrible philosophy. It's the way he executed that on people. Right. <clears throat> um, you almost feel like okay, his his meaning is not die, bad. Either, like, either die with your sins, or mm -hmm. you know, or remove forcefully remove them from you. Yeah, I guess if you take the, them dying out of the <laughs> equation, his his way of thinking wouldn't be totally totally wrong he's trying to fix people and get them to realize their mistakes and fix who they are it's just the sadistic which, way uh, of that which you find out more like that's the whole premise behind everything was that in the last chapter well yeah that was this whole thing you find the origin of how everything started and all that mm -hmm. it's also interesting too that the character of gordon um after we leave him at the end of this movie we do not see him again until the final chapter, which I find to be very interesting because they don't really revisit his overall character arc until the final chapter. Exactly. And that was another one of those cases where I'm looking, you know, I bet he's behind everything too somehow. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Just something in my head was like, I bet he's involved in this in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. it but made sense. I couldn't quite pinpoint like how. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they they pulled that off pretty well, and and I found his uh, his overall reveal in the final chapter to be pretty convincing, and I think it was the appropriate way to end his arc, um, especially. But um, I, I like the way his character works in this film because his range of emotions is is really all over the place. Because yeah. at the beginning, we're led to believe that maybe he is somehow involved. The way he's acting and behaving <laughs> and how and how composed he is in the first 20 to 25 minutes, you're led to believe that maybe he's somehow involved. Um, and and be, based upon the movie beginning with Adam, you're led to believe that Adam is going to be the character you're going to root for. And that ends up being not really the case. No, not at all. But yeah, let's go a little bit more into this. Uh, so, five. Like, they ended up discussing, you know, how obviously the, uh, they identified the captor as the jigsaw killer. Mm -hmm. Serial homicide murderer testing his victim's will of survival through murderous contraptions as games, whom Gordon knows of because he was once a subs uh, suspect. And then it goes into the backstory that while Gordon, while discussing a term the terminal brain cancer of patient John Kramer was interrogated by uh, detectives David Tapp and Steven Singh, who found his pen light at the scene of one of Jigsaw's games. 
Uh, Gordon's alibi cleared him, but he agreed to view the testimony of heroin addict Amanda Young, the only known survivor of one of Jigsaw's traps. So we get insight into the later films about Amanda in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. That definitely takes uh, a, a big uh, a big beginning to what we see of her in, in number two. Um, we got to talk about the fact that Danny Glover's in this movie. Wait, Danny Glover was in this movie? Yeah, yeah he was. Okay, David Tapp. Mm-hmm. I, I, can't I forgot forget. about that. I did not know he was in this movie until I saw it last week or a few days ago. I was like, Danny Glover's in Saw? Yeah, I completely forgot about that. I guess I shouldn't be surprised because Sam Jackson's going to be in it now. So I guess, I, I don't know, one of those obscure actors that I just would never have considered to even be in a horror movie, let alone Saw. No, I wouldn't have ever expected it either. Mm-mm. But hey, I mean, if you can pull out a good a role like that, then go for it. I liked his character. I thought his character had a yeah, lot no, of Yeah, no, his character was really good. I actually would have liked to have seen more of his character. And I almost kind of wish they might have made him a character that might have been in uh, future installments. Because I thought that he was very interesting. Yeah. No, it was pretty good. I liked how everything turned out with it. Um, but yeah, it was. What else uh, do we want to discuss about this one? Um. Oh, you know, um, the smoke screen of of the uh, the um, the orderly being being the guy that looks oh, like he's behind uh, the whole thing. Zep. Yeah, I mean. When I was watching the movie, of course, at this point, I I knew that he wasn't the one that was heavily involved, but. I, I was, I was very, very impressed by the, and very convinced, or um, I'm not impressed, but I was impressed and how they pulled off the reveal because going through it up till the very end, I'm like, when is Kramer going to be involved in this? I know Zepp, you know, is not the mastermind behind it all, and the way they pull it off and they execute it in the last five minutes. Oh yeah, I'm watching. I'm like, wow. Well, that's one of the things that the Saw movies have been. At, are good at is those last five minutes of mm-hmm. get, uh, re- doing like the big reveal of the movie. Yeah, it isn't until we get to the middle chapters where some of the reveals get a little bit eye eye or eye rolling inducing because they get to yeah. be a little bit like out there. But the first two movies especially do the twist so well, and even at the end of Saw Two, I mean, it all just makes sense. It all just comes together like like a jigsaw puzzle in a way. Um. Yeah, th- th- you're right, though. The twists are done very well in these movies for the most part, minus a couple of the movies. But yeah, that's one thing these movies do especially well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so going into the whole thing with Zep here, um, obviously once the clock strikes six, Zep, since Gordon still had not managed to kill Adam, moves to murder Alice and Diana, but the former frees herself and fights him. Uh, the struggle attracts Tap's attention. He saves Alice and Diana before chasing Zepp into the sewers, where he is shot in the chest after a brief fight. Hmm. Uh, Gordon, only aware of the gunshots and screaming, is shocked and loses reach of his cell phone. In that desperation is when he takes the saw and saws off his foot and shoots Adam with the revolver. Uh, Zepp enters the bathroom to kill Gordon, but... Adam, having survived the gunshot, bludgeoned Zepp to death with a toilet tank lid. Mm. 
and that's when we get into the big reveals here. Uh, Gordon crawls out of the bathroom to help to find help while Adam searches Zepp's body for a key and finds another tape, revealing mm -hmm. that Zepp was another victim following uh, rules to obtain an antidote for a slow-acting poison he was given. As the tape ends, the corp rouses and re is revealed to be John Kramer, the real jigsaw killer who reveals to Adam that the key to his ankle chain was in the bathtub that has gone down the drain when he first woken up. <laughs> Horrified, Adam attempts to shoot John with Zepp's gun, but John electrically shocks him through his chain and exits the bathroom. John shuts off the light and seals the door, leaving a screaming and helpless Adam to die. Yeah, the, the the ending of this movie, it's it was actually quite the gamble because I look at it this way. I, I, I think the writers had intended there to be more movies, but it could have ended with this one. It could have just ended with a shock ending, and that could have been it. Yeah, you never know. I mean, they could have ended it just right there and not really gone into any other movies, but it was mm -hmm. nice that we got a little bit more story out of the next few films. It was, because I felt like there was a lot to explain because we didn't really learn John Kramer's motivation in this movie at all. It was just like, oh, he came up with this plan. That's what he wants to do at the end. It wasn't enough. We needed layers to really understand him and to see a full-fledged story for him, which we do get. So, yeah. um, so I should ask, as we're at the end of the first movie, um, this this movie actually ends up being the tamest uh, of, of all the Saws, I think. Um, no, it really was. But what's your uh, what's your favorite trap sequence in the first film? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna let you talk about that one first. Uh, I my favorite uh, probably has to be when uh, when Tap's partner goes downstairs to chase after uh, after Kramer. At the time, we don't know it's Kramer, and he shoots him, and it looks like he's dead, and he's approaching, and he triggers that trap and all the gunshots just blister on top of him and he just falls to the ground all bloodied. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really good one. I didn't even, mm -hmm. I forgot about that one. That yet. I might have to agree with you on that. Yeah. I kind of liked that scene. Cause it just, it was like the first big, uh, Kramer trick, you know, the first of many tricks that we see of jigsaw. And that was like the ultimate first one. And, um, I like that sequence. I mean, this movie didn't have a lot of traps like we get in the future sequels. I mean, really, in this movie, all we have is that sequence, really, and uh, where uh, the doc saws off his foot. I mean, we don't really get a whole lot of that shock value in the first film because, like we said no, before, we really didn't. the first film was more about the story and the characters than it was the actual traps and situations. Which... I thought was a good touch. I love. I do like the innovation of the traps in the later films, but I thought this was really well executed in that it wasn't all about the traps after watching all these other films, mm -hmm. that it wasn't all about the traps and how people were going to get out of them. It was about, you know, these characters, the story behind them, and just the overall general story arc they were going for. Right, right. And I think that's why, like, like you said before, it ends up being... Uh, one of the best, if not the best, of the series, just because it it didn't feel the need to focus on the gore factor to be entertaining, like the sequels kind of do. Yeah, and here's the thing about this one, Mike. What was the, what would you without looking at it? What would you say the budget was for this? About four or five mil. One point two million. I mean, I believe it. I mean, 
other than maybe a few of the actors, I mean, most of the movie's shot in a few select locations, and it's stuff you could get at a hardware store. Without looking, box office numbers. Well, I'd say probably at least 40 to 50 mil. 103.9 million. Oh, I think it might be the only Saw movie that actually reaches 100 mil, though. So, we're going to see here in a minute. Uh, No, there are multiple that hit uh, 100 plus. Was Jigsaw one of them? Uh, I will let you know here when we get to that one, but I know that that the next one trumped it. Saw two, yeah. yeah. I should have I should have known that because the the sequel hype was pretty big the next year. But uh, I guess with that, I guess we just uh, do we have right anything else two? we want to talk in about the first one? No, I think we pretty much covered everything on Saw one. So, what did you think of the actors though that played these roles? Actually, before we get into Saw 2. Um, I mean, uh, I forget how to pronounce his last name. Uh, Carl Carl Lewis. I think Carl Ulwes. Ulwes I don't know how to pronounce Carrie it. Carrie Ulwes. Yes. Um, he's great. I mean, he's a great actor. He's good in everything that he's in. He's very underrated. You see, the thing that surprised me the most was the fact that Carrie Ulwes was in a horror-style film like this. I am so used to seeing him in the... Mel Brooks style movies, Princess comedy Bride. movies like yeah. Princess Bride or in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, that seeing him in a movie like this, mm-hmm. I, it it just boggled my mind because you're seeing the depth of his acting here, and that he can do a really serious role like this really well. He also played the uh, the weasel stepfather wannabe in Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. Yeah, that's true. He did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, he's very much known for Robin Hood and, and Princess Bride. And this movie was definitely far and away anything that I've ever seen him in before. Um, and he did a fantastic job, especially at the end when uh, after he saws off his foot and how he's crawling around and his range of emotion. It was just superb. And he's definitely probably the best actor probably in the whole Saw universe minus uh, Jigsaw himself. Exactly. But yeah, he was good. Uh, The character, the guy that played Adam, I found his acting to kind of be all over the place. I saw some inconsistencies with some of his line delivery. He had moments where he was really good, but then he had moments where he felt like he was overacting a little bit. Okay. Um, I can I can see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, but he's probably you know more of a B actor. That's just maybe this was his first big role and something that was out there. So. He's forgiven for that. And Danny Glover, of course, is always good in everything he does. Um, Could you picture anyone else playing John Kramer at this point, though, after watching this series? No. Not not convincingly, no. I I have to agree. I think just even seeing the little bit that we did of uh, him in this movie, it it Mm -hmm. just goes to show just what he is capable of. Now, Tobin Bell is a fantastic actor, and I've seen him in little small parts and other things, but this is going to be the role he's most known for. It's got to be because he's the face of the franchise. Easily, yeah. He has got to be... This has got to be his most famous role at this point. I mean, think about how much his influence and face lingers even after his character's death in the series. It's it's still very prevalent throughout. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just fantastic. But um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much Saw 1 in a nutshell. Uh, we'll come back at the end and we'll circle back with our numbered scores. But uh, let's move on to Saw 2, the sequel to the box office surprise hit. All right, so for this one, we'll start off real quick. What was the budget on this film? I think Saw 2 was somewhere around 5. 4 million. Okay. Box office numbers. 120, 130? 147.7. Wow, talk about making a shitload of money. Yeah, they, they made... Over a hundred and forty-three million more than what the budget was. I don't think any of these movies, maybe minus the last two, any of them costed anywhere over fifty mil. Yeah, there. I these films were a lot cheaper than you would have expected to make, and for mm-hmm. them to turn out as well as they did. Well, I mean, the first movie, I mean, you could tell it's made on a cheap budget, but it works. It's for the kind of movie that it is. It just works. And yeah, um, even the sequels, the sequels get flashier and they and they look more expensive, but really they're not much more expensive. It's just great directing. And this is where I'm seeing a lot more of where, where what we're known for seeing for the Saw movies, and that's the traps. Mm-hmm. Start at the beginning of this film when... Uh, Police informant Michael Marks awakens in a room with the spike-filled mask around his neck. Mm. And he has one minute to cut into his eye to obtain the key, but can't bring himself to do it and is killed when it closes. So we see the beginning of all of the uh, traps really start with this film. Yeah, right out of the gate. Um, And if you notice, too, throughout these movies, there's there's a lot of traps that have to do with things stuck on their neck or their head. Um, It goes back to the first movie when we we saw a little bit of Amanda having the the, the contraption on her neck, too. Yeah. Very similar. Um, But, yeah, you're right. This is the beginning of what's going to be the long string of traps throughout these next seven films. Uh, It's actually kind of funny because... uh, the. The movie that out of all of them that I compare closely to number two actually is Jigsaw, the eighth film, because it's the other Saw film where there's a group of people trying to get out of an area like in Saw 2. Okay. So um, I think there was definitely a lot of influence from Saw 2 when they made Jigsaw. All right, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, so from here we get introduced to... Uh, Detective Allison Carey uh, finding a message for her former partner, Eric Matthews, and calls him in. And correct me if I'm wrong, but was Eric the one that was the quote-unquote apprentice of John Kramer in the later films? Eric Matthews? No. No. Um... Because I no. know we saw the I know we saw the guy in prior films beforehand. That's why I was curious. The first time you see that character, I think, is in Saw Three. Because then he's then I think he's in three, four, and partly in five. He's the one in Saw Three that ends up becoming the apprentice of, of John Kramer because he comes in after Amanda finishes her storyline. Um No, uh, but the female cop, she did appear briefly in Saw One. Okay. 
she wasn't saw one briefly. I, I I couldn't really remember. I was watching saw two and I was like, she was in one. I believe she was. And she was, <laughs> she, she appeared in one scene in saw one when they uh, took the, um, the guy out of that wire trap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was in that part. And then that was it. So some of her callbacks in this movie about how she's been chasing Kramer for, was it four or five years? Um, that was, I guess, in reference to that, which one thing I didn't understand in this movie, um, I don't necessarily know what the time in between each movie is. They make it seem like the, the time is very minimal, like maybe days or weeks in between each other. But she talks about in this movie about how she's been chasing the Jigsaw killer for four or five years. Are we well, led to believe? Because, well, because the other, like, I know at least in the case of three and four, Mm -hmm. They've essentially took place at the exact same time. Right. Uh, but it, obviously it wasn't a matter of that this was done all in a matter of days or weeks in between each other. Mm -hmm. This was, I mean, obviously this was a history of going before, like well before the first film because mm -hmm. of how Gordon had said, you know, how their captor was the jigsaw uh, right. killer. Uh, so that makes you realize that there's a good history before that first film. So it could have been years that she's been chasing him. I mean, I think it would have to be because I figured it couldn't have been years between Saw 1 and Saw 2 for a couple reasons. A, because Kramer had cancer um, and he was very much on this dying breath for a while. And number two, because we saw... Adam's body in the in the bathroom at the end of the film, and it seems like that it would have been more uh, the ashes or his body would have been more rotted away than in four or five years. The minus was only maybe a week or two. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured. It just I, I didn't really know if if you knew that per se because they never really clarify how much time passes between a lot of them, except for like the middle films, which you said are really close together. Like, honestly, all the films after three mm -hmm. were all really close by, I want to say. Four through six, I think, were pretty much like I within think days three, of each other. I think like three through seven were all within days and weeks of each other. Jeez. But yeah, I, I guess I don't know at the end of the final chapter. It's been a while since I've watched the final chapter. I don't know if um, like with um, with Gordon, I don't remember if they mentioned how much time between one and seven is because he, of course he looks older, so obviously there's got to be some time they're gone. I don't think it was much time, though. No? Maybe a year? Maybe a year, maybe two at the very most. Yeah, I'll have to find out when we watch, when I watch it again, because it's been a while, and I don't really remember at all. Yeah. But, anyway, so they... Matthews joins Carrie and Officer Daniel Rigg in leading a SWAT team to the factory which produced the lock from Michael's trap. Uh, there they apprehend Kramer, who indicates computer monitors showing eight people trapped in a house, including his only known survivor, Amanda Young, and Matthews' son, Daniel. The other victims are Xavier, Jonas, Gus, Laura, Addison, and Obi. Uh, Nerf agent filling the house will kill them all within two hours, but John assures Matthews that if he follows the rules of his own game, he'll see Daniel again. I got a question for you, because I, I just finished watching Saw 2 again today, and, and it's a question that I still have. Um, 
Okay, so Jigsaw says about this this poison agent that was put through the house, right? Yeah. Um, as we see throughout the film, a lot of them are a lot of them are, are bleeding out of their nose. They're coughing up blood, so on and so forth. But as we see, um, the detective's son and Amanda, they rarely ever cough and they rarely ever bleed from their nose, especially Amanda. So, are we led to believe that? They weren't really breathing the agent in that whole time. Maybe they were injected with it before they woke up? No, I think that leads you to believe that they were given an antidote. Okay. Because, I, I don't know. Thing, was... Here's the thing about this movie, though, that pissed me off the most. Mm -hmm. Is that if these people would have actually sat there and thought, like, after they got out of that first room and got into the main room of the house. Right. That door at the begin that open that first door, if they were all they had to do was just open the filter, and all the nerve agents gonna go out of the house. Basically, the pollution was right in front of them. There you go. They would have completed the uh, trap right then and there, mm -hmm. and they would have all they would have had to do is just figure out a way to get out at that point. Well, that's the one thing about this movie that pisses me off, too, is that they make a lot of stupid decisions. There's these big group of people. They have how many? Five or six brains in this house. And, I mean, I, as when I first heard the clue about, oh, the numbers are in the back of your head, I'm thinking, oh, my God. Did anybody think to look in the back of your head or your neck? I mean, he basically gave it to you right, right on the damn tape. And nobody thought to even think about the back of the head. No, not at all. They, they do a lot of stupid things. It's just like the guy hopping into the furnace, uh, Obi, and the door closes when he, grab, when he grabs the thing. Knowing the situation they're in, why wouldn't somebody be holding that door <laughs> open for him? Uh, because people are not smart in these situations, and you know that they're not going to be smart in this kind of a situation. That's horror movies. Since when is any character actually smart in a horror movie? Yeah, you're not wrong there. Yeah. Okay, so that's I was curious about and that. So here's the thing that really annoyed the hell out of me was one of the first traps that were in that house. Mm -hmm. uh, the group is informed by a microcassette recorder that antidotes are hidden throughout the house. One is in the room safe, and the tape provides a cryptic clue. Xavier ignores a warning note and uses the key provided with the cassette on the door, which triggers a gun that kills Gus. Like, who in the hell puts their eye right up against something like that, knowing that there's probably going to be a trap or something on the other side? Uh, that's what I was thinking, too. I'm thinking, dude, w w what benefit do you have to look through the damn peephole behind this metal door? Why? Why? Look, if you would have just stood away from the door, off to the side, like everyone else was, when he used the key on there and opened the door, well, guess what? The bullet would have just gone right through. No one would have been killed. Yep. Yeah, like I said, it, it, this group makes one dumb mistake after the other, and I don't know if they're just have no brains or... I don't know. It, it just... It, I, I, I like this movie. It's just that it's hard to forgive stupid characters, especially when yeah. some solutions are right in front of their face and it's just staring at them right in the face. So, one of the, let's see, we, we talked about the uh, 
furnace trap that Obi went into. Mm-hmm. Uh, in another room, Xavier's test involves digging through a pit filled with syringes to retrieve a key to a steel door in two minutes, but he instead throws Amanda into the pit. Uh, she retrieves the key, but Xavier fa- fails to unlock the door in time. Uh, I-, I found this this trap to be one of one of Jigsaw's biggest bullshit ones. Two minutes to go into a pit of syringes to find a small contraption to open the door. Yeah. I mean, he does say needle in a haystack, and in this case, it very much was. Uh, there had to have been a, probably at least 200 syringes in that pit. Oh, easily. And I hope Amanda uh, had some kind of fix for that, because there was a lot of rusty uh, rusty needles. Uh, then, throughout the game, the group ends up discussing the connections between them all, and they realize that each of them has been incarcerated before, except for Daniel in which during his father's test, John reveals their affiliation to Matthews, who is a corrupt police officer framing his suspects for in various crimes. So we see why that uh, Matthews' son was put into the situation. Mm-hmm. It was really all just to test Matthews. I mean, again, it goes back to a very, very good twist here. And, and Jigsaw's play on words where your husband will be found in a safe place and he ends up being found in the safe in the same room. Um, just very clever writing. And um, I, I like, too, how Jigsaw is written very smart because the problem we get with a lot of horror movies today is that yeah. the villains are, are – they don't are use their just brains. Easy, they, they're just in there for the thrill of the moment sort of situation where yep. – where Kramer was very methodical in his approach, very detail oriented, very much into playing mind games with people. Mm-hmm. And he had the ability to do it because he had the mindset of, you know, someone who is like a borderline genius in a sense. Right. No, yeah, he no, he does. I mean, the the, the way he's able to make these traps and be able to um because like I think like in the first movie his overall trap and and plan in the first film was very generic, very basic. There wasn't much thought needed into that process, but this film really, it took a lot of thinking on his part because he had to have the, uh, each room laid out the way it was in order to get certain clues in order to get doors open and this and that. There's a lot more layers to his thinking this time around. Um, and I thought it was really cool to find out, too, that the house that this took place in was in the same facility as the bathroom from the first film. Yeah. Uh, then it says, you know, Xavier went on, a, like, he ended up finding out that the numbers were on the back of each person's necks and ended up going on this manhunt to find everyone mm-hmm. and kill them and get the numbers. So it's, I mean, that's really the big premise behind the last bit of the movie. Um, Didn't you think that it was a bit much that he was going around killing people just for the number? Do you, don't you think that was a little severe, like almost like they, that it was just written in just for the convenience of adding more blood and kills? Probably it seemed like that was the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
Having seen Xavier chasing his son, Matthews assaults John and forces him to lead him to the house. The tech team tracks the video source, and while Riggs' team searches the house, Carrie realizes that the game took place days before they captured John until the timer for Matthew's game expires to reveal Daniel inside a safe, bounded and breathing in an oxygen mask. So this all took place well before they actually captured him, and it was essentially mm-hmm. just all this nonsense going on. So, so leading him essentially on a wild goose chase the entire time, when in reality the game took place days before, and that uh, Daniel was hidden in the was locked in the safe, completely safe the entire time. So another good another good question here is that okay, so if Matthews would have played the game that uh, that he was wanting him to play, Jigsaw was wanting him to play, yeah, and he would have stayed there to the time it ran out. He would have found his son in the safe, and Jigsaw's plan never would have happened. Now, my question is, is Jigsaw was planning on what happened to happen, and it all went according to his plan. Now, if it wouldn't have, how would have Amanda figured into that plan if things would have gone the way he didn't think to go? Uh, it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. But I think Jigsaw's – I think cr- what Kramer's plan was for uh, – Matthews this entire time mm-hmm. was that the best option is to sit there and wait. Mm-hmm. I think is probably the, what he would have is what he was trying to show him. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I because guess if he would have like done that, he would have realized his kid was right there, completely safe and sound. I mean, he kind of basically told him in, in in a way in words, but. Yeah, he, I, I, he, I think he knew that he, he knew Matthew so well and knew that he was reckless and he had a, a temper problem and he was out of control. I think he knew that no matter what he did, he would get his way and he would get him to take him where he wanted him to go. Yeah. Um, I have to wonder too how long Amanda was sitting in that bathtub because she had to have been in communication with uh, with with uh, with Kramer somehow because she had to know that. Matthews was coming because she couldn't be waiting in the bathtub for forever and a day. She had to know that he was coming to be waiting. Yeah. So we got uh, the last bit here. Unaware of these events, Matthews enters the house alone and makes his way to the bathroom where he's subdued by a pig mask figure, which is the iconic figure throughout this entire film mm-hmm. or throughout the series, really. Yeah. Uh, he awakens shackled at the ankle to a pipe and finds a tape recorder left by Amanda, who reveals she had become John's accomplice after surviving her first trap and helped him set up Matthew's test during the game at the house, intending to continue John's work after he dies. Amanda then appears and seals the door, leaving Matthews to die as John hears his screams outside and smiles. So, you ended up finding out that, you know, throughout this, that obviously Amanda was really behind Matthew's uh, test this entire time. Mm-hmm. And this is where we begin to see, I think the biggest flaw of Amanda's character was that she made it so that her traps were essentially unbeatable. Yeah, it's a good point. Her, her traps were completely unbeatable and that made her the very much the anti-Kramer because how can she really be the the protege taking over for him 
when she's going about things the opposite from him. Exactly. And one of the things that I do like about the ending here, though, is that it was the throwback to the first film, mm -hmm. you know, locked, chained up to the ankle to a pipe in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And the final line with the game over. Yep. Yeah, it was a good callback. And uh, but yeah, you're right. Um, all, all, over through and through, I, I still can't believe, by the way, I can't wait to bring this up, that that Mr. New Kid on the Block himself, Donnie Wahlberg, is in this movie because. Yep. I, it's another one of those things. I mean, Danny Glover was in the first one, and now you get Donnie Wahlberg. And this is really the last time in a Saw movie where we actually get actors we really know of because, like, three, at least three through seven, we just kind of get actors we really never have seen before. Um, when you see Jigsaw, you'll recognize a couple actors, I think, from different things. But, okay. yeah, I, 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 don't really, I don't really know, like... Um, we don't really get any... Maybe, maybe maybe you agree with me on this or not, but we really don't get too many overly notable characters in the next films. No, that makes sense. So we don't really get anybody that we really know per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not like what we get in the first two movies. Um, yeah. But uh, okay. So uh, favorite trap in Saw Two. Uh, favorite trap in Saw Two is going to go back to the beginning, first one that was in there. <laughs> was essentially you, the Iron Maiden mask. Were you almost hoping he was going to cut the eye open? Yeah. I think everybody was a little bit on that situation. Um, My favorites. Oof. Uh, tough one. I, I The fire trap I thought was pretty good, although I'm really pissed off that nobody held that door open. I think that whole thing could have been avoided. Um, I have to, I think I have to agree with you that I think it has to be the opening trap because that seems to be the most innovative one and the one that's most clever. Uh, we do get more that are clever in later movies, but yeah, in this movie too, a lot of things are just kind of generic ways to get to the point of killing off characters and such. Um, yeah. so yeah, I guess, I guess it's obviously gotta be the beginning. So I'm going to say, well, let's go after this here. So far out of the first two movies, which one was your favorite? Um, there, are, there are things in both films that I like a lot. If I could combine some of the stuff from the second into the first, that would be the ideal Saw movie. Um, I think I'm going to have to give it to the first film just because I like that um, it focused on characters a little bit more than just the, the traps and that... It still had one hell of a twist in it, but the second exactly. movie, don't get me wrong, the second movie's twist is still really good. Yeah, it's still really good, but yeah, you can't beat the first one in that case. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um if I if I gave a if I gave a number grade to Saw One, um, in comparison to this series, this probably would be the eight and a half to the nine of the series. Um and then Saw Two would be probably a seven and a half or eight. I give the first one compared to the rest of the series a nine. Mm -hmm. The second one, I give a seven. Fair enough. Yeah, I wish I could give a higher grade to, to two. It's just some of those, some of those character flaws and some of the stupidity. I think oh, brings I it down a little bit, and I and I, I blame the writing more so there because I think they were writing more in convenience of advancing the plot than they were to actually give the characters some intelligence. Yeah. So, but hey, that's to be expected. It's a horror franchise at the end of the day, so we can't expect everything to be 
bright and smart and intelligent. Yeah. But, oh well. So, with that, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, we'll be doing this over the next few weeks. We're going to be doing uh, two movies for each uh, episode. Mm-hmm. Next one, expect three and four. Uh, probably going to be doing the same thing. We'll be doing it a, a week apart each time. Mm-hmm. So expect next week another episode uh, coming out for for the retrospective for Saw. Uh, and then after we are done with the retrospective, we're probably going to be looking at getting into the best of with the rest next of the week. group. Yep. Yeah, we'll have all. We're hoping to have all five uh, back for that. Uh, we did get some news that uh, our other co-host uh, Dan English has uh, come down with uh, COVID, so um, we're wishing him wish him uh, the best of health, luck, and speedy recovery. Yeah, we're hoping to see um, him next week. We're supposed to, so we hope we will still see him next week on the show. And then after we get done with this retrospective, we're probably going to be jumping into. Either the Matrix retrospective, or we will be jumping into what was it that we were also discussing? Well, we know uh, with Matrix, uh, Jeremy had suggested Jurassic Park, and Dan Jurassic had Park, suggested that's Mandalorian. So, the Mandalorian is going to be the one I think we wait for after all of the retrospectives are done. In this case, because probably a better idea, we're probably going to be going over what each season. Or yeah, are we going episode by episode? Dan had kind of an episode by episode idea, uh, so that's probably going to take a little bit of time. Um, we're talking 10 episodes of seasons. We're talking 20 episodes, but we're probably only talking like 20 to 30 minute episodes at that rate. So yeah. I, maybe, maybe maybe we're best off doing two episodes at once. Um, oh, got be- a comment here from your mom, oh, yeah. Mike. Here we go. I think you should do go back in time and do Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> oh yeah, going back to old school. We were talking about horror franchises. Nightmare on Elm we're Street. Going would up, be we're going going up. Or if we're going that route, I mean, we could always do Friday the Thirteenth, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. um, The Omen. Ooh, The Omen. I mean, you got The Exorcist too. The Exorcist is. Uh... Exorcist actually has three films, but I mean, you have a prequel that's not that good and a sequel that's not that good, so I don't even know if that's even worth delving into. No. Really, it's just the the Exorcist itself that you'd really delve into, but it's not really right. worth it at that point. No. But yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. I think a uh, classic horror franchise, when you go into your Friday the 13th, your Nightmare on Elm Streets, and your Halloweens, yeah, those are things that we should definitely honestly do. Probably better reserved for maybe doing like around Halloween. You know, Halloween would I think would be a lot of fun to do some of those. Uh, maybe cover those kind of in bulk for Halloween specials. Uh, yes, you are not wrong there. Nightmare on Elm Street did have a lot more of a storyline than uh, the Friday 13th movies. Yeah, and the Friday the 13th movies got a little carried away with Jason Goes to Hell and all that other stuff. So, yeah, uh, Nightmare at least stayed on kind of a great path. If we're going to go on horror franchises that had a storyline, I'd say the next one would be the Nightmare on Elm Street or the Halloween movies. Yeah, Halloween's not a bad idea, too, because we are getting um, a new Halloween movie, I think, in October, as long as everything holds up with movie theaters. So that would actually be a good time to get into Halloween because there's a new film on the rise. 
That is true. Uh, so do we have anything else you want to add in for these first two movies, Mike? Um, no. Uh, like you said before, just next week, look out for our, um, our, uh, best ofs and surprises. And then, uh, also look out for Saw 3 and 4 we'll be doing with us too as well. So that'll be fun. All right. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jason Gabasic here with Mike Winkler. And this is the end of the part one to our Saw retrospective. Expect part two next week. And uh, I guess we'll end this with that's a wrap. Cut and print. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. And coming next week, look for our Saw 3 and Saw 4 retrospective and join our entire five-man crew as they break down their favorite and most surprising films of all time. To read more of our reviews and listen to our podcast, go to lcamoviereviews.com and listen to our podcast on all major platforms. Thank you for listening to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast.